Man. Okay. We're just going to have to, we're going to have to, these kids are getting smarter. Than, when, when the kids are smarter than you are, what are you going to do? Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. That's the only thing I know to do is preach. Let's go. Um, I'd like to take you on a journey this morning um, as we begin to a different time and a different place. And I want you to travel with me, if you will, in your mind's eye or your heart or your thoughts. I want to take you to a distant land. You live in a city called Nippur. And uh, it's a city located in the land of Sumer. The date, 4,000 years before Christ. 4,000 B.C., plus or minus. Those folks, uh, or you back then, you don't necessarily... Uh, have the same kind of calendar that we do, so 4,000 B.C. doesn't necessarily mean anything to you. But, but about 6,000 years ago, and uh, you're living here in Nippur, which is a pretty new city. In fact, it, was, it hasn't been too long until people just like you uh, begin to gather and live in cities like this. Before this, your ancestors were hunter-gatherers. Your grandfather was a, was a hunter. He provided for his family by going out and killing game and bringing it and, and doing those type of things. Your, your father began to cultivate the soil in some of the places where they traveled and grow some crops when they were there long enough. And, uh, uh, and he also began to raise some livestock that that you guys carried with you in your uh, nomadic journey. Uh, but now you are living in a city. And uh, there's some walls that are being built in this city because not only is there plenty of land there to, to grow crops in and, and other people are doing the same thing and you're going to be able to feed yourself and then some, but also travelers are coming through and they're trading with you. They're gathering some of the... Uh, uh, some of the produce, or you're trading some of the produce that you grew for some of the, for some of the goods that they bring. The, the, the king of Nippur is building a wall so that you guys will be safe. And he's also built a temple. Okay, He has built a temple because this is a very special day for you. And you and your, um, uh, your neighbors are going, to, are going to go up to the temple to worship your God. Now, you're carrying with you a lamb from your flock. This is actually the best that you have. Other people are bringing uh, calves. Uh, some people have goats. Some have uh, other things that they're bringing. But whatever different people bring, they're bringing the absolute best that they have. And you're going up to the temple, this brand-new temple, to worship your God. And you're going to offer this sacrifice on the altar and it's going to go up before God as a sweet-smelling aroma. And you believe that in your sacrifice that God is going to be pleased with you. You believe that this is the way that you come into communion with God. Not only do you please Him, but you relate to Him in this way. In fact, you're going to sit down for a meal later on that you understand to be, to be you and God communing together as you take the meat of that sacrifice, some of it offered to Him, and then you take the other and you share this meal together. And you're also paying off a vow because it hadn't been that long ago before since you told 
God, that you wanted to expand your farming operation. There was another field adjacent to yours that you wanted to open and cultivate. And you told God in prayer that if he would bless your field and bless your crops, that you would come back and worship and offer a sacrifice. And so that's what happened. Your, your field uh, produced a bumper crop this year. And so you're coming back to God to pay off the vow. God did his part, and you're doing your part. Now, something else, in, uh, and, and the reason I'm able to tell you this story or the reason I'm able to try to put you in this place is because about the time that you're living in 4000 B.C., some really uh, uh, wise men or women in uh, your uh, city have begun to take your, uh, your speech, your language, and they begin to create an alphabet, that is uh, a way of visually representing the sounds that you make when you talk. This is the first alphabet in all of history. And so for the first time, people are going to be able to record their language or they're going to be able to record their lives or to talk about the things that are going on in their life. In fact, for posterity, those of us who are going to follow them later on, we're going to be able to go back and read the things that these people did and said, the way they lived and the way they worshipped. And so for the first time in all of living history, it is going to be recorded in a written language. The alphabet has just been invented, and that's why we can sit here today and talk about what went on in a place called Nippur over 6,000 years ago. You're living in the poor. You're offering your, your sacrifice to your God. What you don't really understand, though, and you cannot, is that in every area of the world at this time, about 4,000 years before Christ, people are beginning to live together in cities or communities. They're beginning to farm the land and they are beginning to develop alphabets so that they can record their history. It's a very interesting thing that happened about 6,000 years ago, about the time that the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. People began to live together in cities and record their history. What they also did, almost without exception, in every corner of the known world or every corner of the world that we have learned anything about, the people would sac offer sacrifices to their God. Now, they might call their God different names than what you called your God or what we call our God. But they would all, and, and this is unique, or, or this is true in all of history, in all, every corner of the globe, people would bring an offering, a sacrifice that they would offer to their God. Often in temples, sometimes they would build and offer themselves and offer it to their God. In other words, uh, uh, universally, it seems that, that, that people in this world understood not only that there was a God, they believed in God. That, 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 was, that has never even been in question. Only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Everywhere you look throughout all of history, people have believed in God. Now, some fools have come along and said, well, I don't believe in God, but everybody believes in something, honestly. But, but, but not only have, have people believed in God throughout all of history, but they have understood that in order to worship God or to have a relationship with that God, they had to offer sacrifices. 
It's over in the very earliest part of history. People would get, get the very best that they had, just like you did. And they would take it to their temple. And there on an altar, the sacrifice would be, would be made. In other words, the means of worship was sacrifice. And when people sacrificed to their God, they believed that not only was it pleasing to God, it was a pleasing aroma that went up to God. And you kind of understand that if, you, uh, if you've ever been to or if you've ever barbecued. You know, you, a meat roasting over uh, an open fire smells pretty good. Well, well, they understood this would go up and God would be pleased, number one. And then it was a way that they came into communion with God. Their sins were atoned for. Innocent blood was shed. And then they would sit down to eat in, in relationship to their God. And it might be that they would pay off vows. They would make a vow to God. God, if you will do this for me, then I will come back and worship you. And in every, almost every civilization that you study, you're going to find that exact thing. People coming and offering a sacrifice to God, a pleasing aroma to him. And they're worshiping God with his sacrifice. Now, it teaches us some profound things, again, that people have believed in God from the very beginning, and they've understood that in order to worship him, I've got to have something in my hands. Sacrifice has always been the means of worship. Now, when you get to the Bible, you see this very same thing from the very beginning. In the beginning, God. They don't try to, uh, Moses or the writer of Genesis doesn't try to argue for the existence of God. He just proclaims it. In the beginning, God. Only, again, only a fool has said in his heart, there's no God. You, you, you can't not believe in God, all right? So, in the beginning, God. And right there in the very first pages, there's a sacrifice because God creates a man and a woman, puts them in uh, uh, perfection puts them in the Garden of Eden, but very quickly they fa they fail, they fall, they sin, and a sacrifice is made. Now, in the very beginning, God is the one who made the sacrifice. In fact, when you think about those coats of skin that Adam and Eve wore when they were driven out of the garden, those coats of skin were made because innocent blood was shed. God Himself made the sacrifice. He slew the the animals, this, the, uh, the, the lamb, I believe, there were a couple of lambs that were slain, one for Adam, one for Eve. And then he made garments for them. He clothed them so that now their sin was atoned for. It was covered. And then they were driven out of the garden. Now, what you see in Adam and Eve is, is they taught their children this very same thing. They taught their children to sacrifice. In fact, if you look at Cain and Abel, and you're reading now in uh, Genesis chapter 4, what did Cain and Abel do? They brought an offering or a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, Abel brought a blood sacrifice, and Cain brought a, uh, a, a, a grain sacrifice, and God accepted one, and God didn't accept the other, which, which is very telling. But, but the bottom line is, is they understood. They had been taught by mom and dad, when you worship God, you've got to have something in your hands. You come to God, and you offer a sacrifice. Go a little bit further in uh, Genesis, and you see that this continues on. So, for example, there's a guy by the name of Noah, 
And he's commanded by God to build this boat and saves all the animals. They go through the flood and everything. And all that uh, account is in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And then when you get to Genesis uh, chapter 8, after the flood is over and uh, the, the ark has come to rest now and Noah gets out of the ark, what is the very first thing that he does? He builds an altar and he offers a sacrifice. And the scripture says in, uh, uh, in Genesis 8:21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice. God was pleased with the sacrifice. Go just a little bit further and you... You read about a man named Abraham, the friend of God, who is the, the father of all the Hebrews and the Jews. He was a nomad. He traveled. Uh, he, he never really settled in one place for very long. He would, uh, he would uh, move his herds and his flocks and, uh, uh, to graze them. But everywhere he went, read this in the book of Genesis, everywhere he went, he stopped, where he stopped long enough, he would build an altar and do what? Offer sacrifices, right? So the friend of God understood that in order to have a relationship with this God, I've got to offer a sacrifice. Go a little bit further, and you find the guy named Moses who is called by God to go and uh, uh, free the children of Israel who are now enslaved in Egypt. He leads them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and he leads them across the Red Sea on dry ground, and then he takes them to Mount Sinai. And there, what does he do? He goes up on the mountain, and he, uh, uh, he receives the Ten Commandments, which are very quickly broken. And then he lays out for them a system of sacrifice. I mean, what do they do? How do you come to God? You've got a burnt offering and a, a sin offering and a guilt offering and a peace offering or a fellowship offering and a grain offering and all these things. When you come to worship God, they would build this tabernacle which had, a, uh, uh, which had an altar on it. When you come to worship God, you're going to come with a sacrifice to offer to your God. And the Jews, as they went along all through the Old Testament, they understood that I've got to offer a sacrifice to God. This is the way I worship. Sacrifice is the means by which I come into the presence of God. It's the means by which I worship. Now, when you get to the New Testament, you see some, a little change here. Because Jesus uh, comes. And who is this Jesus? And the people who followed him and, and experienced his life, came to believe that he was not just a man, but he was God in the flesh. And they begin to understand that what happened with Jesus as he lived and died on the cross, that it really was all about the sacrifice. In fact, John the Baptist, who was really in tune with God, right, and he was preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, in the first chapter of John, he sees Jesus walking up, and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's speaking in terms of sacrifice. Later on in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. He has been sacrificed. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In 1 John 2, 2, 
John the Apostle writes, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And when you get to the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So as as people came to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior, they looked at him or his life as a sacrifice that was made on behalf because they were sinners, because I'm a sinner, because I want to be pleasing to God. I want to have a relationship with God. And the only way for that to take place is through sacrifice. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. That is, remember back in Genesis, God made the first sacrifice for the sin of people. Now he makes the final sacrifice as well. And that sacrifice is Jesus. And you know, when Jesus hung on the cross... He said, it is finished. And that Greek word tetelestai, the word that he uttered there, is a priestly word. It's the exact word that the priest at the temple would, would say when the sacrifice was complete, after the lamb had been slain and the blood had been applied and the, the part that was going on the altar had gone on the altar and then, it was, uh, and then the rest of the meat was taken to be roasted and eaten by the worshiper, he would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. So Jesus, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he died on the cross, the sacrifice was made and it was completed. It was done, meaning there is nothing left to do. And this is what we have been seeing all through this great book of Hebrews as we've studied it. For example, in chapter 20 or verse 26 of chapter 9, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, otherwise he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he, and who is the he there? Jesus. He has appeared one time at the end of ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And now there's, there's no sacrifice for sin left because he has died on the cross, risen again, and when the blood is applied to my life, when the sacrifice is accepted by me, it is acceptable to God, when it's accepted by me, now my sin is atoned for, it's removed, and there's no other sacrifice that needs to be made. My sin is removed. I'm back in a right relationship with God now. I am in fellowship with God. And, uh, and uh, the covenant is complete in Jesus. And that's, that's sacrifice in the Bible. But now here's the question I want to ask you. Okay, so if Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, if he's the atoning sacrifice, if he's the finished sacrifice, and yet for someone to worship God, you have to bring a sacrifice, then what, how do you and I worship God today? What is it that we have to bring to God in order to come into his presence? What is our sacrifice if Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and he's already been made and sacrifice is the means of our worship well that's the verse I want to share with you today the 15th verse of the 13th chapter now we're swiftly coming to the end of this beautiful book of Hebrews and he says in verse 15 he says therefore now let's pause right there for just a second remember what the old Oh, preacher, 
uh, used to say, he said, when you come to the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? <laughs> therefore, he says, what is that? What's it therefore? Well, look back at the previous verse. In verse 14, he says, we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Now, he's already been talking about, let's continue on in faith. Remember this. The life of a child of God, the way you live is by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. He's defined faith for us. He's given examples of faith. But faith that is true faith endures to the end. So we're going to keep on going. And how are we going to do that? We're going to keep our eyes on the prize. That's Jesus. So we live in this world but we're not of the world because this is not our home. We're just passing through like Abraham was passing through uh, the land of Canaan. But we are on our way to the promised land. And the promised land is glory. The promised land is heaven. And so he says there in that 14th verse, we don't have an enduring city here. That, that, that what we're doing here is not eternal. We're just, just for here for a short time. Lord, help us to number our days. Death rate is 100%. None of us are going to be here forever, right? No matter how I struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. However you want to look at it. We don't have an enduring city here, but we're looking for one. We're looking for a permanent home. And we're headed that way by faith. So we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're headed onward and upward. That's the therefore. Since that's true. Since we are not at home here, we are at home there, but we're passing through this world. Therefore, he says, watch. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, the, the admonition or the exhortation or the command here is the word offer up, okay? He says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up. The command there is offer up. That is a, a word of sacrifice. It means to bring your sacrifice to God. It is, uh, and that Offering up is what happens at the altar. You have to have an altar in which to offer a sacrifice. So he says, here's the command. Let us offer up. But notice he says, let us continually offer up. You see that word continually there? It means, it means continually. It doesn't mean, okay, so if the sacrifice of praise and offering up this sacrifice of praise if we think that continually means I go around with my hands up all the time going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I can't do anything else because I'm continually praising the Lord. Well, I've misunderstood the word continually. <laughs> Basically, he, he, he means when he says continually offer up, he means let this keep on going. Don't stop this. This isn't a one-time deal. This isn't a one and done for us, okay? Jesus is the one and done sacrifice for our sin. Done completed, finished. But what we're going to talk about here, this sacrifice of praise, that is how we come now or what we bring into the presence of God as we come to worship is not a one and done deal. It's a continual thing. And it is something that flows out of our life. Child of God, listen to me. Your life becomes 
the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the bottom line. And that is, that is a continual thing. It's not just something that happens on Sunday. It's not just something that you do one time and you walk down the aisle and shake the preacher's hand and get dunked in the baptistry or whatnot. Okay, it is a continual offering to God. All right? Now, what exactly is that? The sacrifice of praise. I want to give you three things here just as we think through this. You guys know I think in threes, and uh, it just kind of works out that way. But three things I want to show you as it relates to the sacrifice of praise, how it works, or what does it mean, or what is it, okay? Here's the first thing. Jesus is the altar. In your sacrifice of praise, Jesus is the altar. Remember, to offer up, you have to have an altar, and Jesus is that altar. You know, if, if you were uh, a Jew living in the time of Jesus, uh, you would go to the temple to sacrifice. Because you, you, you didn't offer sacrifices anyplace else. It was forbidden. There was an altar at the temple, one altar, and everybody had to go there. If you're going to offer a sacrifice, you take your sacrifice, you go up to Jerusalem, you go to the temple... And you present your offering there to God. That was the place. The altar is the place of sacrifice. Now, now as, as God's people or as believers in Jesus, we also have an altar. In fact, in this 13th chapter, if you look back a couple of verses to verse 10, the writer here says, We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle don't have a right to eat. So we have an altar. They have an altar at the tabernacle or the temple. And that's where they offer theirs, and that's where they prepare their sacrifice, and that's where they eat. We have an altar. Those folks, this is not their altar. This is our altar. That's not ours. This one is ours. What is this altar? Well, look back at the text in verse 15. He says, therefore, through him, through him let us offer continually. Who's the him? Therefore, through him. Who would the him be? Okay, now come on. Now, when the preacher asks a question in church, the answer is? Thank you. All right. So the hymn is Jesus. How does this sacrifice of praise get to God? It goes through Jesus. He says, let us through him. He is the place where the sacrifice is brought. He is the altar upon which it is made. And this really makes sense. There's no other way to get to God, right? I mean, didn't Jesus say this very same thing? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If I'm going to come to God, if I'm going to approach God with any type of offering or sacrifice, I'm going to have to come through Jesus. There's no other way. And there's a whole lot of people that try different ways. You might try, you might have tried different ways. You might try to get to God through Muhammad. Not going to work. Through Buddha, doesn't happen. You might try to use charms or crystals or, or something else. But you're not worshiping God. You know, in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul is, is talking to his people there in Corinth about eating meat offered to idols, okay? So, and that was the practice of the day. Almost every piece of meat would have been offered to some idol. And Paul is just saying, be very careful. You don't want to worship idols because people who worship idols, he says, are actually worshiping demons. They're worshiping the demonic. They're not worshiping God. 
Why? Because there's only one way to get to God, and that's Jesus. Try some other way, and you might be worshiping something, but you're not worshiping the living God of the universe because Jesus is the only way. And you know, when you come by Jesus, you can come boldly. Remember, the writer of Hebrews said all the way back in Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. That is, through Jesus, nothing stops you. When you have this sacrifice of praise, you bring it through Christ Jesus right into the very presence of God. And this really is what worship is. It's what it's all about. So Jesus is the altar. Jesus is the means or the avenue by which we bring our sacrifice in order to worship God. It's the first thing. Second thing I want you to see here is that God, and by God I mean God the Father, is the receiver of our worship or he's the object of our worship or, and I hesitate to say that because I'm not sure God is ever an object, he's always the subject, but God is the audience. Let me, let me put it that way. I, I struggled with what to put here. I, I put receiver. God is the receiver. And this is what I mean by that. If you lived in Old Testament times and you worshiped at the temple, your worship was a spectator sport. And, and I, what, the way that worked was you would, you would take your lamb or your calf or whatever it was that you were bringing to God as your offering. But you could only go so far. I mean, you understood that God... The presence of God on earth was in the Holy of Holies behind that very thick curtain. And there was a brazen altar out front, a bronze altar. You would bring your offering and you would hand it off to a priest. You could only go so far. You couldn't go very close to God. You would hand it off to the priest. And then you would sit there and watch as the priest would go and, and the sacrifice would be made. The blood would be shed. The, uh, uh, the, the meat would be put on the, the altar or whatever it was. And then over here on the side would be a choir of professional worshipers, the, the Levites, who would sing. They would be singing, and they had very beautiful voices. They were trained and everything else, and they would be singing the praises. And you would sit there and watch as the sacrifice was made. For you, worship was a spectator sport. And so it's kind of like this. You were the audience of all this because you were watching. The, uh, the priest and the Levites were the, were the ones who did the worshiping. And then God was kind of prompting them. He was telling them how to do it, right? But as for you, you just, you just sit and watch. But you know, when you get to the New Testament, worship is no longer a spectator sport. In fact, you know what the New Testament says about you? Watch this. In 1 Peter, and remember, Peter is the chief apostle, right? He's the one who... Who, you know, he was always sticking his foot in his mouth, but he was real close to Jesus. He writes in 1 Peter 2 9, You, he's talking to believers, he's talking to Christians, you, he says, are a chosen race, watch this, a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises, you're the choir. You may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Worship in the New Testament was not somebody watching somebody else do it. Worship in the New Testament was a participant sport. You bring your sacrifice of praise through Jesus. You bring it to God. He was the audience. You were the one who did it. 
And it's still true today. And I mentioned that, and I'm emphasizing this because I think that sometimes maybe we forget this or we get it backward. And it's especially true, I think it happens in churches like ours, maybe even in our church. We have a tendency to think that we're the audience. I mean, why do I come to church to kind of watch what's going on, right? And the, uh, uh, the, the ones up on the stage right? They're the ones who do it, right? So we've got the professionals up here singing and, and, and doing the choir and everything. They're trained voices. They're the good voices. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know, and all this other stuff. And God is kind of the prompter. So God is kind of telling these, these actors in this play how to sing and do it. And then we, you know, watch it, right? And, and okay, and I know I've had a good day of worship if I enjoy it, right? And so I'm going to walk out and tell, well, preacher, I really enjoyed that, right? I mean, I mean we sang the, the songs I like to sing, and, uh, and uh, you kept me awake, or you didn't preach too long, or whatever it was, right? And uh, so I enjoyed it, right? Because let's just be honest about it. When we worship, it's all about me, right? I mean, it's what, it's what I get out of it. It's what I, this is why I come to church. And if I don't get what I want, if the songs aren't right or the preacher's too long or boring or whatever it is, I'll go somewhere else, right? I mean, isn't that the way it works? Because what is worship about? It's about me. I'm the spectator. I receive it. These folks do it. God prompts it. God forbid God help us. That's not the way worship is to work. God is the one who receives it. These folks up here on this platform, it's not a stage for performance. These folks up here maybe uh, prompt us or help us in our worship, but we're the ones offering the sacrifice. Worship is ours or we don't worship at all. We sing it. We proclaim it. We shout it. We teach it. That's why he says here in this 15th verse, through him let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. Where does worship go? It goes that way. It doesn't go this way. It goes that way. And watch this. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy or in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. If the songs of praise or the preaching or whatever it is, if it's all about me, if this is my worship and it's me and I've got to be pleased or I've got to be enjoying or I've got to be whatever if that's what it's all about then worship hasn't taken place worship is what I bring to God and what I offer to him he is the receiver he's the audience okay last thing here we go so so first of all Jesus is the altar through him God is the receiver to God now watch this your heart is the source or the worship offering. Maybe, let me put it that way. And this is another one of those things I, I wrestled with how exactly to express this. Your heart is what gets offered to God. 
So we're exhorted to offer a sacrifice of praise. Okay. This sacrifice of praise goes to God, but it comes from the heart. Now, what's really interesting about this is he says, um, uh, there's a word of apposition here, and that means he, he's trying to define for us what is the sacrifice of praise. So look at verse 15 again. He says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, what is it? What is a sacrifice of praise? Well, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, we say, well, okay, well, that, that's the fruit of lips. So that means a sacrifice of praise is something that I say, right? So it, maybe it is, praise the Lord, right? But notice he doesn't say, offer a sacrifice of praise, which is the word of lips. It's not what he says. He doesn't even say, offer a sacrifice of praise that is the song of lips. So even singing is not what, what he's talking about here. It's not the sacrifice of praise. So what is it? Well, he says, offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips. The fruit of lips that confess his name. What is that? Well, where does fruit come from? What causes fruit? You know, I did a little study on this, and, and if you got a fruit tree, and it has to be a fruit tree, right? So an apple tree is going to produce apples, orange tree, oranges, whatever. A fruit tree will produce fruit when the sap rises. Okay? When it comes into the branches, the branches are going to bud and bloom, and that tree is going to produce fruit. You can't stop that thing. But watch this. It comes from the inner depth of the tree, from the inside. That's where fruit comes from. It comes from the inside. You know, the problem with just thinking about the sacrifice of praise is just being something we say. You know, Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, 8, he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It, it's possible, I suppose, to say praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord while you're thinking about, you know, going out and killing somebody or cheating on your wife or whatever it is, right? I mean, your heart can be far from God. You can say anything. Anything can come out of your lips. And that's why he doesn't say the sacrifice of praise is just word of our lips or the song of our lips. It is the fruit of our lips. And the fruit of lips is what comes out of the heart. In uh, Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What is in your heart is what comes out of your lips. So, so the real issue, when, when I come before God to offer my sacrifice of praise, the real issue or question is, what does my heart look like? What's going on in my heart? Is my heart tuned to God? Is my, my heart focused on God? Is, is, is my heart right with God. I mean, he has given me a new heart in Christ, doesn't that? Isn't that doesn't the Bible say something about that? When you get saved, he reaches down and takes that old stony heart, pulls it out, that old sin-filled heart, and he gives you a brand new heart of flesh. And when God gives you, and this is what it means to be born again, obviously. So, so when God gives you a new heart, and 
And the heart is where love and desire come from. And you'd think that if God gives you a new heart, he puts a love in your heart for him and a desire for him. Then what happens is a sacrifice of praise is what's naturally produced from my life. Because the sap has got some place to rise from. I'm a brand new fruit tree. And as the sap rises, it produces fruit. With a brand new heart, my life produces the sacrifice of praise. And notice, because he says continually, so that would mean in every area of my life, wouldn't the fruit be produced? So in my home life, in my marriage, in my family, in my job, in the plant, in the boardroom. You ever had a business meeting or something just turn into a, uh, a, a revival, you know, a, a worship service in which, in which the praise of God just, I mean, you understand? I mean, when, when I've got a brand new heart, this fruit is being produced and it's a continual thing. And then what happens? Okay, when my life is like this, I come to church on Sunday and man, you're, you know, your life is, has got this fruit of your lips and your life does, and we're, now we're together. I mean, because notice he does use the us here. He says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. So we're in this thing together. So God's people coming together. And we've got these, these new hearts in Christ Jesus. And, and the sap just keeps on rising. And the fruit is producing. And then a worship service like this becomes something that, that you know, is just... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. Come on. The glory, the Shekinah glory of God just gets manifest as, as the praise, you know, just rises from hearts set on Him and lips that confess his name. And then praise finds its verbal expression then maybe in our singing or our preaching or whatever else. And Sunday becomes a just a time of glory upon glory upon glory. That, that's the fruit of your lips. That's the fruit of your lips. That's the sacrifice of praise. I don't know if I've adequately described it because I'm not sure I, I can because it may, it may flow out of us in a number of different ways or plenty of different ways. Remember Jesus, it's always going to go through Jesus. God is the one who's going to receive it and it's going to come through hearts that are set on him. So the only question really that we have to ask ourselves this morning is does praise does the, pray, does the continual praise of God flow from your life? What does your heart look like today? I mean, because, you know, if, if you were to answer that question, well, no, no, I don't think it does. I don't think that the fruit of my lips, which confess his name, really is a continual sacrifice of praise. You know, then, then why not? Is it because... Um, there's some sin in your life, maybe, I need to confess. Is there, 
Uh, maybe have I strayed in some way? I've gotten away from God. Do I need an awakening? Do I need a personal revival in my own life? If my life is not producing the fruit of praise and worship to God so that, so that when I you know, show up on Sunday, man, it's all I can do just to drag myself in and I can't wait till this thing is over so I can get out. Is it because my heart's just not right with God? Is it because your heart's never been changed? Because remember, it has to go through Jesus. And if you've never confessed him as Savior and Lord, then nothing you can do can really worship God because it's not going to come through Jesus. You've got to meet him. You've got to know him. You've got to have a personal relationship with him in order to offer the sacrifice of praise. Does your life produce this continual sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, that confess his name. If not, what do we need to do about it? If so, then do it. Because let me tell you something, beloved. This type of worship or this type of praise is contagious. It's contagious. When God's people living for him continually, right, just see this fruit flowing out of their life, and people are attracted to that. Sinners are attracted to that. The, the world wants to know, is that real? And fruit that is real encourages or moves or helps change the hearts and lives of other people. Is it real? That's just the question. What does your heart look like this morning? That's, that's the sermon. As we come to Jesus, the author of our faith, the finisher of our faith, the altar of our lives, the sacrifice. We come before God to worship. What do you got in your hands? What do you have to offer him, really? Just your life. Lord, I pray today that as we look to you in this place, Lord, that we might keep looking up like the verse says. We might not be distracted by all these other things. We might not be set aside. But God, that our total focus and everything else might be on you right now. Lord, and as your word just bears fruit, as it takes root in our lives, Lord, may that fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise, go up. And would you be blessed? I know the question here today, is God pleased with my worship? Not, not am I pleased, not was I made. Was God content with me? Father, I pray today that whatever you need to do, however you're speaking, you need to move in our hearts and lives right now for us as individuals, as a church, Lord, that you would do it. And God, may that continual sacrifice go up here. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.